0: Praise the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Everybody's so lively. How's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> All right. All right. Sean Paul's excited. Good. Praise the Lord. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse, verse 3. And I've been on a series of um, messages, starting... Um, two weeks ago about the end and um, so we're going to be continuing that study it says now as he sat on the mount of olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us when will these things be what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age let's pray Heavenly Father, we love you, and Lord, I just ask you to speak uh, through your word, Lord, and uh, take me aside, Lord, and um, make it purely your word, Lord, uh, from you to hearts, Lord, and uh, let us be receivers of that word. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. I got creepy there for a minute, didn't I? Sound a little better now? Yeah? Okay. Some of you said, I was always creepy. Well... I can't do anything about that. (laughs) Um, As we go into this study, how many would like to? um, How how many would like to to sit with Jesus Christ and ask him about the end? (laughs) I mean, these are great questions that I would love to have been there that day uh, to be asking those questions. When will the end happen? You know, and ask these specific questions to Jesus. And, uh, not only the questions, but the location is very, uh, interesting. When you talk about the Mount of Olives, in fact, uh, maybe one of the most amazing things, probably the most, uh, amazing things when I had the opportunity to visit, um, was to see the Mount of Olives. You know, you go out the, um, Messiah gate that is where the temple is at. And that's the gate that they had an expectation that the Messiah would walk through one day. Now, that gate today is barred shut. It's cemented shut. It has a Muslim cemetery outside the, the gate. And they do not want a Messiah to walk through that cemetery and go through that gate and present himself. And But in those days when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives, I did not realize that until I was there that when you're in the garden... Uh, where Jesus prayed, that, ga- that garden that had olive trees in it, and where he prayed, and, uh, that night before, um, uh, he was arrested, and, or, and, he was actually arrested in that garden. It's actually right across the Kidron Valley, uh, from the, the temple area there. So when Jesus was praying, he actually could see the gate, he could see the temple, he could see everything, and Jesus, his regular, uh, one of his, favorite places to be was on the Mount of Olives. So many things happened on the Mount of Olives. And I think that's why, because he had a view of the uh, temple there and a beautiful view. And he could see that gate where the Messiah would one day walk through. And uh, so Jesus leaves the temple for the last time in his ministry. And this is in Matthew 23. And that last trip out of Jerusalem, away from the temple he uh, had some pretty harsh words for Israel. In fact, uh, that chapter is just a series of prophecies where Jesus pronounces judgment on Israel, on, on, on the, the Jewish uh, leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, because they had, um, uh, he had presented himself as the Messiah and they rejected him as the Messiah. So Matthew is a book that is documenting everything that he did as the Messiah and the progression of him presenting himself to Israel and their reaction to him. And so as he leaves this last time, his disciples are with him, and he pronounces a series of judgments uh, because they had rejected him. And he ends chapter 23 um, with a very fascinating statement. Uh, He says... um, And I think I wrote it down here. At the end of 23, at the end of 23, he says um, that because of the fact that I'm going to just kind of say how it says there. Anybody have that? I can't find my notes here. Thank you. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophet and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her broad under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Thank you, brother. So Jesus, as he leaves, uh, makes the statement that they will not see him again until they say the phrase, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this is a prophecy about the end of the, of the tribulation period when Jesus comes again. And so the, the disciples of Christ have heard this statement and they leave the city for the last time. And this is the, right before the last supper and right before he has that Passover meal where he institutes the Lord's supper with his disciples and so they go to the Mount of Olives and four of his disciples take him privately and they say hey we have we have some questions and so they ask him three specific questions and um those three specific questions is what Jesus is trying to answer in what's called the Olivet Discourse, which is what we've been studying. And so the first question in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, it says, tell us when these things shall be. And so we talked about that last week, that that first question that they asked, they've heard something very jarring. They've heard in, in, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, um, now as they were on the Mount of Olives, they came to him privately I'm sorry, in verse 1, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. His disciples came out to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to him, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, that not one stone will be left upon another that will not be thrown down. So this is a pretty dramatic prophecy. In fact, I want you to think how big that is. I told you that that building project last week had started in 20 B.C., And this was around the early 30s, so about a 50-year building project. And this building was massive. This building was probably the greatest building in the world at that time. There was no building like it. When you came over the hill, it actually, uh, there was so much marble on that building that it looked like snow uh, covered the building. And it it had so much gold plating on it that it just shined. Brilliantly in the sun, and this was a massive building, and it was 50 years in the making from Herod the Great, and it would be worked on for another 30 years. So about 80 years this building would take to build, and finally in about early 60s, this building was completed, and it's massive. I mean, it's huge, and these stones were 10 by 12. I mean, they were massive stones called Herodian stones, and Jesus makes a very, um, um, very troubling prophecy. Can you imagine how troubling that prophecy would have been? And so the first question that they ask when they take him privately is, when is this going to happen? And so there's three places where you find this conversation about the end of the world that Jesus has with his disciples. And and in fact, I tell people, if you're going to study prophecy, this is the foundational piece to me. Everybody says, well, go to Revelation. Revelation wouldn't be around for another 60 years. Uh, Paul would not teach on prophecy for another 30 years. Jesus basically gave us the calendar of what's going to happen in the end times in his Olivet Discourse as he spoke to the disciples on that mountain. And it was the foundation, it was all the church had until uh, a few other writers began to write many years later and began to elaborate on the end times. So Jesus basically took all the prophets of the Old Testament, all those prophecies, and they all culminated into what Jesus was telling these disciples was going to happen in the end times. How many think we need to know that? How many think that we need to know and have an expectation of what's happening around us and what Jesus says is going to happen in the last days? Well, last week I told you that the questions were answered um, in, in a very unique way. In fact, in Mark 13 and Matthew 24, uh, Jesus answered it, uh, The questions number two and question number three. But question number one that we just asked, when will the temple be destroyed? Jesus answered that question in Luke chapter 21. And so last week we talked about that. And so some people are confused because they'll see the abomination that causes desolation in Matthew 24 and also in Mark 13. And then they'll see Luke 21 and they'll see the Jerusalem is surrounded and they will assume this is the same thing. And it's not the same thing. Luke chapter 21, as we talked about last week, and I'm just reviewing here, but in Luke chapter 21, uh, he begins to say that here is the sign that you asked for about when is this city going to be destroyed. And so he said the sign is you will see the city completely surrounded by armies. How many think that would be a very scary thing when the Roman... Uh, army is surrounding your city and Jesus and I'm recapping here but Jesus said I'll give you advice on when you see this because this is when the city is going to be destroyed he says when you see it surrounded and it's under siege he says leave the city and you're all shaking your head and you're like that's great advice have you thought about how bad that advice is If you're in a city that has walls all around it and it's surrounded by Roman armies and you're under siege, what can you not do? You can't leave. And so Luke 21 gives the advice from Jesus, which sounds terrible at the time. When you see it surrounded and compassed about or surrounded completely, then you're to leave the city. And so what ends up happening is The Jewish Christian believers, the ones who believed in Christ, took his advice. Because Cestus Gallus surrounded the city in 66 AD. And as he surrounded the city, he ran out of supplies. So Cestus Gallus had to go back to Caesarea to get more supplies. And on his way back, he was attacked and was killed. And so the siege was done. And so they heard from Jesus what? leave the city when it's compassed about. So a lot of us would probably think, well, the siege is over, so we're good. But because they were very careful believers of Christ, history shows that every single Christian believer who was Jewish left the city at that time and relocated in a city called Pella. And when they relocated, um, another uh, general uh, came in uh, by the name of Vespasian and his son Titus and they came and they laid siege to the city again and when they laid siege to the city then uh, estimates are upwards of 1,100,000 Jewish uh, people died they were not believers in Christ and so they did not take the advice that Jesus gave. How many think it's awesome that Jesus um, gave them that advice? And so, but Luke 21 is unique from the other two passages. I hope you guys are okay to learn this morning. I don't want to bore you guys, but you got to know this stuff. So Luke 21, when you're reading it, just know that he has some of the same pieces of information that are in the other ones, uh, but he diverts to a the question number one and tries to tell them what's going to happen when the temple is destroyed. Now you got to get in the Jewish mind here. In the Jewish mind, they believe when the temple gets destroyed and it's ransacked, oh, awesome, Uh, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to set up his kingdom, and all this is going to happen at the same time. And so their next two questions are, um, the second question is, in Matthew 24, 3, what will be the sign of your coming? And so when they say, what is the sign of your coming?, they're talking about him, uh, him coming to the earth and setting up his kingdom in the throne of David. This is the Messiah setting up his millennial kingdom. And when they say, what is the sign of your coming? This is what they're talking about. And some of you say, well, they're talking about the rapture here. That's not what they're talking about. In fact, the next event that's on the schedule is Jesus will meet them for the Last Supper, which is the Passover feast. And when he meets them for the Passover feast, he will tell them, Hey, I'm going to a place in heaven, and if I go, I'll tell you assuredly that I will bring you with me, and you will be there with me, and you'll forever be with me. And the disciples were really scratching their head because they never heard that before. That was new information that he only revealed to them after Judas left. And so Jesus hadn't revealed that to them yet. And so they're talking about the second coming. When are you going to come on this earth? How many know that this era, when they say end of the age, they mean when is the world as we know it going to end in this new era of a millennial reign? When is it going to start? As a Christian, you say, man, Chad, I don't, I don't like this message. I want a fireball message. It tells me I'm doing good or I'm doing bad or... But how many know you've got to be able to explain to people what's going to happen in the end times? And that's what this series is about. I'm trying to pour out as much information as I've studied over 30 years of cramming my little mind with as much as I can possibly cram about the word of God, and I'm trying to make sure you're ready for the end times. In fact, how many know that there are going to be probably food shortages very soon? How many know that there's going to be some changes in our economy very soon. How many know there are going to be lots of wars and rumors of wars? How many know that there are going to be lots of prophecies that you're going to hear may or may not being fulfilled, be being fulfilled? And you need to know: is this biblical or is this not? You need to know what do I believe and why do I believe it, and what is it that I actually do believe? Because a lot of people just take it for me. A lot of pastors that I know don't know what they believe, and they can't even tell the people what they believe. So this is going to be a little boring. I say all that to say this is going to be a little boring, but you got to hear this, okay? And so as we get into Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13, in fact, I'll exclusively study Matthew, but those two are answering the second and the third question, with, which is the second question, What is the sign of your coming? Third question, what is the sign of the end of the world or the end of the age? How many would like to know what the sign of the end of the age or the end of the world is? Now let me warn you here. Jesus, I am all mixed up in my notes. Here we go. All right, the scribes and the Pharisees, one of the things that Jesus was very disappointed with them about was, um, in fact, Paul even mentioned it. He said the Jews always ask for a sign. And the Pharisees, how many remember this scripture? It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. How many know a lot of people are looking for a sign, and these signs that Jesus are going over, the second and the third sign, if you wait for these signs to happen, it'll be too late for you. How many know that? It will be too late. Once these signs happen, but they're seeking after a sign. And so I want to really stress that as I go into this. These signs are going to occur, but when these signs occur, you will have missed certain events that are signless. And that's one thing that Jesus is going to direct us to at the end of this uh, passage in the Olivet Discourse, is that there is a signless event that will precede all of these events that have signs. So when he says... The first question, second question, third question. Let's go on to Matthew and see if we can answer this second and third question. So as we go into Matthew, we look at the first section. And the first section, section number one, is very similar to Luke. In fact, I've got seven sections here that will explain those last two or three questions and really go through the whole end time scenario. Section number one says... Just like Luke, Jesus prophesies the destruction of the temple. So in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus went and departed from the temple, came up to show them the buildings. Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another. So we all know already what Jesus is talking about there, right? Because we studied it in Luke. So this is the same passage. He's uh, prophesying that this massive beautiful temple will be destroyed. How many know that's an amazing prophecy? I mean, that alone, if a prophet were to come to town and and that prophecy were to come to pass, that is a massive prophecy. Jesus makes this prophecy in the early 30s, around 32, 33 uh, AD, and that comes to pass um, when it's destroyed in 70 AD. So just not too many years later, uh, this would come to pass. The second section, Matthew 24, verses 3 to 6, it says... And and my heading here says Jesus warns that these are not the signs of the end of the age. And a lot of people mix this up. But in verse 24, 3 to 6, chapter 24, verse 3 to 6, it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him asking him, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming into the age? Jesus answered said to them, Take heed that you're not deceived. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ... And will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is what? Not yet. So this is the second block, the second group of passages, and it's the same as Luke. He's saying this is the things that are not going to be the end. Now how many have heard people say, these are the things that are going to cause the end. He says you're going to see wars and rumors of wars. Um, you're going to see many antichrists. Many will say, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now, I told you they were, over the course of history, uh, before Jesus, there really weren't any uh, false Christ that came forward. After Christ, the one they call the first false messiah, was a man around the time of about 100 AD. His name was Bar Kokhba. And Bar Kokhba was a man who uh, just happened to come around at the right time, I guess. Because um, Hadrian was the emperor. Hadrian at first, because his uncle, uh, the previous previous emperor, was very cruel to the Jews. So Hadrian came along and he said, well, I'm going to be different i'm going to be nice to the jewish people so i'm going to build them a temple and boy you start to build a new jewish temple after the one was destroyed in 70 he's going to rebuild it right at the turn of the century a little past 100 a.d and he gets ready to build it and something happens and he changes his mind becomes very bitter toward the jews and then builds uh out of the shell of what he was building of a temple he ends up building a um, temple that was dedicated to himself and Jupiter to false gods and pagan gods and so a man rose up to fight the Roman government and his name was Bar Kokhba and he's the one that's considered by many to be the first false messiah and people began to follow him and you know that Jesus said another one will come in my name in fact I think I've got that scripture another one will come in my name and you will accept him <clears throat> that's in Matthew as well. But Jesus said that these messiahs will come and Bar Kokhba was received by many to be the messiah. They accepted him more than they accepted Jesus. And then he began to do some bizarre things. He would go into battle and he would say, God, don't give us favor, just be neutral and, and I'll win the battle. And he started cutting tips of, telling people cut the tips of your fingers off and, and you'll show your loyalty to me. And they begin to say, well, wait a minute, he might not be the Messiah." And uh, how many know that there, over the course of history, if you're not careful, uh, you'll fall into the thing that Jesus warned us about. Over the course of history, um, even today, if I walked around this city, there are cults all over the city. There's false teachings all across the city. There's false uh, messiahs uh, all around the world. There are wars and rumors of wars. There's all kinds of conspiracy theories. And Jesus is saying, just... Know the word of God and quit being fooled and deceived. Because if you're a person who's being deceived, um, then you're going to miss and you're going to live in fear. And how many know somebody that lives in fear because they haven't been properly instructed in the word of God? And this is what Jesus is warning about. So the second section, Jesus is saying, these are not the signs of the end. And then he goes in the very next verse... And it sounds really similar to this verse where he says wars and rumors of wars and many will rise up, Uh, but it's different. He says, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in diverse places. These things are the beginning of travail. And that's where your eyes need to open. These are the beginning of travail. So nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There should be famines and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginning of travail. Did you notice the first phrase? He said, these aren't the end. These must happen. But then he says, this is the beginning of travail. Now, some of you have been involved in situations where Somebody has gone full term in a pregnancy. And how many have ever heard of false labor? Man, false labor, you got to be really careful. In fact, we've had six children, and I was the one kind of responsible to make sure it was real true labor and not false labor. In fact, they call it Braxton Hicks. And uh, my son, my firstborn, was going to be named Braxton Ricketts. And so I would always say, is it Braxton Ricks or is it Braxton Hicks because of the false labor? So what you do is you measure the uh, contractions and you uh, try to make sure they're equally apart and they're happening for a certain amount of time. And and boy, once you go into true blue labor, guess what? No turning back. There's no turning back once true blue labor occurs, you're not going backwards anymore. They're in labor. And so the water is broken. The baby's ready to be delivered. And Jesus is saying, when these events happen and labor has begun, we are now in the period of the end. It has started. In fact, the the term travail here means birth pain. It refers to a series of birth pangs a woman undergoes before giving birth to a baby. The prophets pictured the last days of a series of birth pangs before the birth of the messianic age. So Jesus is going to set up his kingdom on this earth, but in order for that to be birthed, it has to start with the birth pangs. And the birth pangs are nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes, diverse places. These are the beginning of travail. And so as we begin to look, what is this travail to begin with? And look at Jeremiah 30, verse 5. It says, listen to this, this is a very bizarre prophecy. For this is what the Lord says. I have heard the sound of terror, of fear, and there is no peace. And now... Ask now and see if a male can give birth. You act like you hear that every day. (laughs) Okay. That's a weird line. Why do I see every man with his hands on his waist as a woman in childbirth? Why have all the faces turned pale? Woe! that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress yet he will be saved from it. The very end of that verse, listen to this. Jeremiah thirty twenty two. it says, You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold, the tempest of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a sweeping tempest. It will whirl upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and accomplished the intent of his heart in the latter days you will understand this he 's telling Israel that you guys understand what 's happening here? God has prophesied long ago that there will be what 's called the seventieth week of Daniel in Daniel chapter nine there is a calculation there, and I went through the math here several times, but there are seventy weeks of seven and it, and the Messiah was cut off on the second six, seven, or sixty second week. And then the other uh, six weeks were performed. And now we have the 70th week of Daniel uh, that is waiting to be fulfilled. And Jesus is saying that the birth pangs of that 70th week of Daniel, that Daniel prophesied, is going to be the seven-year tribulation period. And once the birth pangs start, there's no turning back. And so Jesus is saying... This is going to be a sign to you. In fact, as you begin to look at this, um, you look at the uh, birth pangs that are listed here, it literally reads like the seals of Revelation. It reads like the Antichrist moving forth on a white horse. What is the next horse? War. He'll go forth to conquer. And then you see famines, you see earthquakes, you see pestilence. And so as we go through this series, I'm not going to put my focus on it this week, but let me just tell you a few things that you may want to be interested in. Um, There is a contingent of people right now that believe there are way too many people on this earth. How many know that to be true? And I think as the church, we need to have a discussion about some of the things in this world that are coming to pass. (laughs) Because the book of Revelation talks about a fourth of the earth dying, a third of the earth dying. You begin to look at these numbers and you look to see the source of these numbers. Some of the sources of these numbers are famines. Some of the sources of these numbers are pestilence. Some of the numbers are war. And you say, Oh my goodness. And you look at the amount of people that die in the book of Revelation. And you match it up with the numbers they would like to have on this earth. And church, we have a very scary scenario there. And so Jesus is telling us in advance that there is going to be a generation that is going to experience the birth pangs, And when the birth pangs start, they're irreversible. And so if you're on the earth at that moment, guess what you are going to experience? You're going to be the one in that vision from Jeremiah whose face is pale, who is writhing in pain and is experiencing the pain of the tribulation. And you say, well, Chad, I didn't know. I didn't listen that day you talked about it. It doesn't matter if you knew. It doesn't matter if you were versed in it. It doesn't matter if you had the knowledge, but it does matter if you trusted in Jesus Christ because he's made a way of escape and that's why he wants us to know about it. Just like he did in the first century and they escaped to Pella, he says in Luke, I made a way of escape for the things that are coming upon the earth. I've made a way of escape. And, and can I tell you something? You say, well, I'm pretty tough. I want to be here during that period of time. I don't want my worst enemy to be here during that period of time. That is the time of Jacob's trouble. He's accomplishing something during that period of time with, 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 with Israel. Uh, by the end of that, he's going to separate a remnant and 100% of them will be saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. He'll rescue his people. But how many know there, there'll be Gentiles that'll be saved in that period of time, but God gives us a way of escape and I'm offering it this morning and you're, you can't just put your hands on your ears and say, I don't want to know. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to know about it. And I told you last week, your end may not come with the end times, It may just come with death like most everybody that's ever been on this earth, but I want to be ready for death because the Bible says death is gain. In fact, I'm going to wake up in the presence of the Lord and there's going to be joy, unspeakable. It's going to be the greatest day of my life. My problems in this world will be over. When I die, it's the greatest. The Bible says it's gain. I'm in the presence of the Lord, but you know what? I'm going to be ready for the end times too. And that's why Christ wants us to know exactly what's going to happen in the end days. And so he... Well, now I've got to find my place again. So the beginning of sorrows in section 3, that's Matthew 24, 7 and 8. Jesus is saying, this is the beginning of sorrows. And this reads identical to Revelation when you see the seals beginning to be released. Jesus is actually telling us 60 how many think if Jesus talks about the end times? It probably lines up exactly with the revelation. If Paul is telling us about the end times, it probably is something he heard from Jesus. I mean, how oh, know Matthew, historically and logically, was the first of the gospels that was written. The, the, all, the ancient fathers all said that there was a copy of that in Hebrew, and everybody was instructed by Jesus Christ on the end times. And so Paul was instructed by the Olivet Discourse on prophecy. And then he basically lines up exactly with what Jesus said in John 12 on the rapture is exactly what Paul taught in Thessalonians. Exactly what Jesus taught on the Olivet Discourse is what Paul taught exactly and it's exactly what John revealed in Revelation in more detail. And so Jesus is talking in section 4. So he starts off section 3, the beginning of sorrows. And then he goes to section 4. I'm sorry, i got ahead of myself. In fact, I'll tell you this. This is really fascinating. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. This is Moses speaking. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen to whom you shall listen. You hear that? Moses said, God's going to raise up a prophet that's like me from your countrymen and you'll listen to him. This is in accordance with everything you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, do not let me hear the voice of the Lord my God again. Do not let me see this great fire anymore. I will die. And the Lord said to me, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them everything I command him, and it shall come about whenever he does not Whenever Whoever does not listen to my words which he speaks in my name, I myself will required of them. Is that a mystery? You guys ever heard that mystery? Moses prophesying about a man among the brethren who God is going to raise up, and you better listen to him. You better listen to what he's saying when he comes, because he will speak in God's name. Do you know that Matthew was taking great pains to let them know that this was that prophet. Jesus proclaimed himself as that prophet and Matthew, in fact, listen to this. Both were descendants of Abraham. So in Matthew, he takes great pain to show his lineage. Both left their fled from their homeland, right? both, there was a slaughter of innocents at their birth, which Matthew also includes. Both came out of Egypt. How many know that Jesus had to leave his homeland, go to, go to Egypt, and then come back out of Egypt? Matthew mentions that for that reason. Both went through the water. In fact, uh, J- Moses went through the Red Sea crossing, and Jesus' baptism in 1 Corinthians says it's like the Red Sea crossing. Both went into the wilderness And immediately went through the water. How many know Jesus went from the mountain in the wilderness straight to the water? Matthew includes that same chronology. And then it says both went into the mountain. How many know there's some unusual phrasing uh, when Moses went into the mountain and Matthew really goes out of his way to make sure they understood that Jesus went into the mountain during his temptation and came out of the mountain? How many know he's, he's using all this terminology to let him know this is the prophet? that Moses was talking about. And so he begins to, you know, really stress who this Jesus is, what he did, um, and then they reject him still. And so then Matthew goes on, and this is where he starts to deviate from Luke. Matthew 24, verse 9 to 14. Do you have that? Okay, it's on there. No way to make that bigger, huh? Matthew 24, 9 to 14. Matthew says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he endures to the end, shall be saved. Now when I was studying Luke last week... I told you that in Luke 21, Jesus uses the phrase, but before all these things. So Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. Nation will rise against nation. And he goes through all of the things that are going to happen in the silt and the, and the birth pains that are going to come upon the earth. And Jesus says, before these things, this is what's going to happen to you. And so what that means is that before... The tribulation, this is what's going to happen to his disciples. And so Jesus mentions nine things in Luke that are going to happen directly to his disciples. And it reads like the book of Acts. Every single of the nine are very specific to his disciples in the first century that happened uh, before the tribulation. This one reads different. This one says, then they will deliver you. Then they will deliver you. So he says the same line, nation will rise against nation. There will be birth pangs. There will be all these things and it's irreversible. We're in the tribulation. And he says, then the believers will be taken. And this is a different set of stuff. They'll be hated by all nations for my namesake. Many will be offended. They will betray one another. They will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he endures till the end shall be saved. This gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. And then the end will come. So he's giving a description of what's going to happen after the birth pains start. So the birth pains will start. And those who are on the earth, those who are believers on the earth... He begins to explain, first he says, many will be offended and betray one another. What do you think this earth is going to be like after a rapture of the church? As you begin to read Revelation, especially Revelation chapter 6, you begin to see heaven full of these saints uh, that are in, I mean, they basically are sitting around the throne watching Jesus open the, the seals and... Uh, and watching the Lamb who was worthy to open the seals. The seals are open, and then all of a sudden the heavenly throne room is just full of martyrs. It's just full of martyrs. And what's going to happen is, at the rapture of the church, before or after the tribulation, this first three and a half years, Jesus is saying there is going to be a hunting down of those who are believers. And you think it's bad now. You wait until there's no Christians in leadership. There's no church that is around. There's no... And you say, man, these are awful things you're painting here, Chad. Church, we have to know these things. That's why you say, well, why do I go to church every Sunday? I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm not, you know, this or that. But can I tell you something? You better start hearing this stuff. Because our time is very short, I believe. These things are going to come upon the earth. And when they happen... When the birth pangs start, there's no getting out of it. We're here. And so it says that many will be offended. How many can see that? The world offended by believers. It says they will betray one another. That means they're going to turn you in. It says they will hate one another. There's going to be massive hatred in the world at this time. There will be many false prophets that will rise up and many will be deceived. How many think if there's no churches and no believers and they've been raptured from this earth and, you know, some are saying, well, that doesn't happen, but just bear with me for a minute. Let's say that it does happen and there's a rapture. Imagine the hatred that's in the world, the betrayal that's in the world, the uh, offense, the false prophets, the deception. And then it says, because lawlessness will now abound. The love of many will grow cold. And how many remember Paul began to teach this to Timothy that in the last days there will be a lawlessness like we've never seen. Do you know what lawlessness means? Exactly what it says. There is no law. That everybody is just doing what they want to do, what's right in their own eyes. There's no law. How many know that there is a culture right now that says we don't want any laws? And I'm telling you, this is a world that has gone. The labor has began. And all of a sudden, these are the things you're going to see in this first three and a half years. And also at that same time, it says the gospel is going to be preached to all of the nations. How many know God is going to raise up 144,000 Jewish evangelists? The gospel is going to be reached around, preached around the world. And there's going to be people that are getting saved. But here's the difference. Now the church, who was guaranteed victory over the gates of hell, now it says the Antichrist is giving the authority to move forward. And so the Antichrist will have the ability, and it says that you'll have to seal your testimony with your own blood. So Chad, this is so pleasant on a Sunday morning. I'm just saying at some point we've got to preach What's going to happen in the last days, and because Jesus taught it, I got a right to preach it. In fact, I better preach it. This is talking about the conditions that will be here when that labor when when there's no turning back. The seven years have started. And like I said, you've got to understand the difference. the but before all this, with uh, Luke is talking about the first century, but then, then they will deliver you, Is talking about the tribulation, to uh, very similar sounding pieces, but they're different. Um, then we get to the next section. And Jesus is just progressing through the book of Revelation. So we see the first three and a half years, what do you think Jesus is going to talk about next? He goes into Luke chapter 23, verse or 24, verse 15. He says, Therefore... When you see... Now, when I hear the word see, what do I think of? Sign. Now, how many want to wait around to see the sign of the abomination that causes desolation? Anybody who studies the Bible and something you need to know and write down, the abomination that causes desolation happens at the midway point of the tribulation. So we've already had lots of events happen Christians, believers, are being tracked down. These are people that gave their heart to Christ after the rapture had already occurred. They're on the earth. They're being hunted down like animals, literally dying for their testimony, being martyred. You say, well, man, that couldn't happen. I'm telling you, the revelation's very clear that they're cutting heads off. That's the method of execution. And they're hunting them down all over the earth. And you say, well, man, it couldn't happen. Open your eyes. This... Social credit score. I'll probably go into that. You know, the carbon tax, the United, or the uh, universal income. Uh, all the things that are they're poised to hopefully do, possibly could be the things that are coming upon the earth. I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying you need to be aware that it could be. And so we're going to get into those things. That's what this mess, these messages, the end are about. Being ready for whatever happens. And, and knowing what the Bible says could happen. And so here's the sign. Therefore, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, nursing babies in those days. Pray for your flight. And winter or is not in winter on Sabbath, but then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since, not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. Unless those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Therefore, if anybody says, do you look here's the Christ or there, don't believe it. For false Christs, false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See that I have told you in advance. Therefore, say to you, Look, he is in the desert, don't go. Look, he is in the inner room, don't believe it. For as lightning comes from the east to the west, flashes to the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For were the carcasses, there will the eagles be gathered. So Jesus is saying, Now notice this is another situation where Jerusalem needs to open her eyes and see a sign. But how many can tell that Luke's story about Jerusalem and Matthew's story about Jerusalem are two different stories? In Luke, he says, when you see it surrounded, leave the city. But here, he says, they're not surrounded. Here, he says, there's something in the temple you need to notice, and it's a twofold event. The Antichrist will take over the temple, and he'll sit... And the Holy of Holies and declare himself to be God. The second thing, the abomination that causes desolation is the false prophet making an image of the Antichrist and putting it in the Holy of Holies. And he says, when you see that happen, notice he doesn't say the city's surrounded by armies. He says, when you see this happen in the temple, get out of there. So by the time this sign happens, church, I don't want to be on the earth because what's getting ready to happen on the earth? Let me read it again. Then, this is after the abomination, there will be great tribulation such as not since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Man, I could sit here and compile tragedies that have happened in the world. But how many know all of these calamities will happen at one time in a three and a half year period. And if God doesn't stop it, he doesn't turn it off, nobody would actually survive. How many think this is amazing that in such a small, efficient little area, Jesus covers the whole book of Revelation? This is called the mini-Revelation. Okay, and it's all they had for 60 years until the book of Revelation where it got more detailed. But this is following the same pattern as the book of Revelation. How many like this stuff? I hope you do. So the Great Tribulation, and he's giving you the whole period of here because he says the carcasses will gather, and this is referring to the feast. It's called the Feast of the Lord. In the book of Revelation, you'll see um, the Battle of Armageddon where all the nations of the world will gather together to make war with the Lamb. You say, that's crazy. Why would they do that? How me know that they're going to try to make war with the Lamb? And God says, Come all the feasts and the fowl of the air, come and eat uh, your feast. Okay? And He's going to return. Okay, and so what's the next question they have? Next question they have is what is going to be the sign of your second coming? Could you answer that question? Now, if I wait for the sign of the second coming, what have I just endured? The worst time of distress that's ever been on the earth. And that's going to be the writhing and pain and the labor that the entire world is going to go through, right? And it says, here's the sign. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken and there shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and there shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, And then shall the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven in the power of great glory. Luke reads this way. And there shall be signs in the sun and moon and stars and upon the earth, the stress of nations, perplexity for the roaring of the sea and the billows, men fainting for fear, for expectation of the things which are coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. There shall come the Son of Man coming in the cloud and power and great glory. There will be, here's the sign, whichever part of it you want to call it, the entire world will go dark. How many have ever been in real darkness? Like how many have ever been to Mammoth Cave and they take you down to the bottom and they say this is one of the darkest places on earth. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. They always say that one, right? And so something will happen in the cosmic, the sky will literally lose all of its light. The sun, the moon, the stars. A cosmic disturbance will be so dark. How many have ever been somewhere like a uh, show and everything goes dark? And then you hear it. Elvis has entered the building. And it draws attention. Everything stops and all the attention is drawn to when that light flickers on. And then you see it. And so the sign is going to be darkness like the world has never seen. I mean, just complete and utter darkness. The entire cosmic heavens will shift and there will be complete darkness and there will be more distress on the entire world than anybody has ever seen. A darkness, I believe, like um, Exodus that could be felt. A darkness that could be felt. And at that moment... And this is why this is different coming than the rapture. How many know in the rapture, nobody's with him? He just comes in the sky. We join him. We go to the place he's prepared. But then when the second coming is there, who's with him? We're with him. And all of a sudden, it's completely dark. And here comes the sign of the Son of Man. In his glory, out of complete darkness, the whole world is going to see Him and His glory. And He's going to appear. And and a lot of the world is going to say, Oh no, we're here to make war with Him. And in a moment, the war is going to be over. And He's going to begin to separate the sheep and the goats. And He's going to begin to set up His kingdom. And the one world government never actually gets set up by the Antichrist. Guess who sets up the one world government? God. Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom. He's going, we're going to rule and reign with him. So he answers the third question. How many think these are pretty impressive questions? Number one, when's this temple going to be destroyed? It's pretty amazing. You know, the greatest building in the world, the greatest wonder of the world, you're saying it's going to be destroyed when? Second one, you know, what is, when when is, what's the sign of your coming? And then the third one, what's the sign of the end? Right? Right? But then he does another thing. He goes into section 7. And Matthew twenty four thirty six says, But about that day and that hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now can I tell you something? When the abomination that causes desolation occurs, guess what I know? I know exactly the moment that Jesus Christ is returning because I can count the days. I can count it. I'm not even a prophet, but I can tell you exactly when Jesus Christ is coming. So we've got to figure out what is the day and the hour that we don't know because we know the day that He's coming in His second coming. And what the Scriptures is talking about here... But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage till the day Noah entered the ark. When Noah entered the ark, what came? What? Judgment. Nobody knew the hour or the day that judgment was coming. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. At the time there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. The Lord gives five parables that's meant to be understood by his people. And they're all about being faithful or unfaithful. Are you watching? Are you waiting? Are you ready? Are you doing the things God's called you to do? Because you better be doing it, not when he comes at the end of the seven years, but when judgment comes. When that goes into labor, you better be ready, because if you're not ready, judgment's going to catch you like it caught them in the days of Noah. You won't be ready. We'll enter into the ark, we'll be out of here, and judgment will come, and guess who's still going to be on the earth? Hopefully not you. Luke says this, Luke 21:34, be on your guard so that your heart will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. You have worries of life, you better get rid of them because you may not be ready when he comes. When judgment comes, you may not be ready, which means you're here. It says, this day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. Now, what do you think is coming on you suddenly like a trap? Judgment. God doesn't want it to come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon who? All those who live on the face of the earth. Well, guess where I don't want to be living? On the face of the earth, right? But stay alert at all times, praying that you will have the strength to escape All these things, what things? The things that are coming on the earth and that are going to take place and so that you can stand before the Son of Man. Now, if I'm not on the earth and I've escaped and I'm standing before the Son of Man, where am I at? In the presence of the Lord, not on this earth. Did you notice in Luke, he gave us a promise there that he wants us to escape, but the Bible says, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. I know I went long. How long did I go? Well, four. I went ten minutes over. Wow. Egregious. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Worship team. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray that you move on hearts right now, Lord God. Father, if they uh, don't know you, Today is the day. There may not be tomorrow. Lord, at the moment that this judgment comes and that labor, Lord, your church is going to be gone and judgment will fall upon this earth like we've never seen, Lord. Lord, I pray that you make each heart in this uh, building ready. If they're not ready, Lord, I pray that they find a place to get right with you. Lord, that they would live a life that is alert, a life that is ready, life that is focused. Because we do not know the day, we do not know the hour, Lord. You've promised us that. So help us, Lord. In your name I pray. Church, I'm not going to beg you. The days of begging people are over. If you're not right with the Lord, find a place. If you need somebody to pray with you, I'm happy to pray with you. But today is the day to get right with the Lord. Hallelujah. That's why we're here. church i just want to close in a word of prayer and let you know that I, you know i started with i'm just being honest i started with 40 pages of notes narrowed it down to 20 and a lot of the time that i normally have to narrow down my my, my work is always narrowing down my notes but my hope is that we all are understanding what's in front of us because I don't want anybody to be caught in that trap. The Bible calls it a trap. and We don't want to get caught in that trap of the tribulation and the things that are coming upon the earth. Uh, He says that we don't, that doesn't need to happen to us because we know we're not like the world. We know what's coming upon the earth and we know the one. And I'm just going to tell you, trust the Lord. Don't allow fear, doubts, all that. Know what's going to happen. Be sure of what's going to happen and live your life every day trusting the Lord. But don't shy away from understanding what's happening Then the things in the world. Don't surprise you. And I apologize if I'm, my notes are too long, but I hope everybody's learning. That's my goal. Hallelujah. I don't want anybody to miss you know salvation that we have. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you and uh, we bless your word. And Lord, let the word go forth, Lord. And um, Lord, let, um, let each person go deeper in your word and uh, understanding. And Father, that they would trust you and love you and know that you've got this, Lord. That you've already told us in advance what's going to happen and uh, you've prophesied it, Lord. And uh, we receive it and uh, we trust in you. Bless your people as they go, Lord. Bless them through the week. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said...